With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast is brought to you by Progressive. Have you tried the Name Your Price tool yet? It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to find a rate that works for you. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive. Get your quote today at Progressive.com and see why four out of five new auto customers recommend Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Turn off your laptop. We're on staycation. I'm on TotalWine.com. They have so many rosés, chardonnays, and proseccos. It feels like a real vacation. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. And now, plenty of ideas for things to do as we join the Cardiff team who say, Why don't you? Watching Twitter, turn it off, it's no good to you, so why don't you, why don't you, why don't you, go, 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 go outside and just fucking do something and stop sitting in looking at computers and televisions, you're a disgrace to yourself, find reality and talk to some people instead. That was a public service announcement on behalf of the Day Trippers. This, of course, is the Day Trippers, and you are now joined by your host, Mr. Stephen Daly. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome uh, to tonight's Day Trippers. Uh, with not much football going on apart from the usual crap international football, we've uh, brought on board Simon Hughes tonight to talk to us about his brand new uh, LFC-related book, Ring of Fire. Uh, Ring of Fire, LFC into the 21st century, the player's stories. Um, nice foreword by Stephen Gerrard and an excellent read. We'll chat to him about all things relating to the book. Uh, on top of that, we'll have a preview of the Leicester game this Saturday and as always we'll talk about some of the shit you've sent us from our trippers chats it's the day trippers okay so first up um we're delighted to be joined by simon hughes both uh author and journalist um with his new book out now the um excellent read ring of fire liverpool fc into the 21st century the player's stories um so first of all welcome aboard uh simon great to have you on board yeah thanks thanks for inviting me no no problem no problem listen it's it's great um uh, first of all, you, you you sent me over a copy of the book, so so thanks for that. And uh, I had a read of it over the last week, ten days or so. 
I have to say it was it was an absolutely brilliant read. So, so congrats on that. I know it's it's only just hit the shop since the twenty fifth of August. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's been out um, for ten days or so now. Yeah. Um, um, yes, yeah, very, very kind analysis. So I appreciate that. Um, oh, we'll, we'll we'll get into a few yeah. more a uh, few more compliments for you over the next little while. Don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> do we have to send a book back? No, no, no. I don't, do I don't it, think do, so. Do you want to give it away? Do you want to finish reading well, first? This is what I was going to say. I'm going to I'm going to actually maybe ask Simon if uh, if we sent it over to him, uh, he might uh, stick a little signature on it, and we could give it away to uh, some of our listeners. Maybe yeah, that might no be. Problem, yeah. Would we'll, that be we'll, okay? Let's do a competition. Let's yeah. Do a competition. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll be able to sort out another book. Yeah. Cool. Will you sign the book as well, Simon? I will. Yeah, I'm. I'm. A, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big deal. <laughs> that brings it down to about thirty p. Then after that, yeah. so, um, but no. Listen, I suppose one of the great things about this book, which is a bit different to to some of the other ones I've read over the last while, is that you've really been able to get in with some of the people that I suppose have left with a with a cloud over them. Um, from yeah. LFC over the last uh, over the last ten years or so, um, or fifteen years, where's time gone? But uh, but yeah, you know, in 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 that um, in that period of time, I suppose there's been such upheaval, uh, as we all know, from from a club's point of view. Um, so so maybe we'll just run through it chronologically. You, you kick off the first interview with Phil Thompson, and, and let's not give everything away. We want people to go out and buy the book and and have a good read of it. Um, but one of the things that really um, was driven home to me was just how much you see it on Soccer Saturday you, we, we have him on the radio quite a lot over here on a Monday morning or it used to be with News Talk um, Phil, Phil Thompson did a, a little review of the weekend but his love of the club is it's just it's, it's, uh, it's incredible isn't it? Yeah um, well Phil, Phil Thompson was one who I thought about whether, whether it was where Interviewing him because I'm, I'm obviously conscious of the fact that he kind of he he was only there for a couple of years at the start of the decade and the strength of the other books I think has been you know to to a degree the the consistency between having eleven players and obviously you've only got eleven players to pick from yeah or eleven people around the club from that time but you know in the in the in the two thousands Liverpool have probably had more personnel go through the club than at any other period in the club's history so. There was quite a lot of people that I could have, you know, could have looked towards to try and get interviews. And I said to myself at the start of the process with this, I thought, well, if I do some interviews and they don't quite work out um, the way you know wanted them to, or or the you know the level of detail wasn't quite there, I was actually quite prepared to to, to scrap you know some of the interviews and maybe just use some of the details of you know of, of the the stories that the people had told me. And to a certain, I mean, even being totally honest, I, I told Phil Thompson this at the beginning, really. Um, <laughs> Good way and, to start your interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I just, well, I said, you know, to everybody at the beginning, you know, that, that I might, I'm doing a lot of interviews. Some of them might not appear in the book in, in its fullest form. But, you know, I appreciate you giving me the time. I, that might have helped a little bit in some ways. And Phil Thompson was certainly one of those at the start, you know, at the start of the process where I thought about this, whether is it actually worth going to meet him because... You know, he he, I suppose, would be able to give more of an insight about Liverpool in a different time of history. But then I realised, you know, that having spoken to him and he spoke with such passion um, and, and insight as well. There's a, I think there's quite a lot of insight in that chapter. I, I realised that he, you know, he connected, you know, Liverpool, uh, modern Liverpool, with with you know uh, historical Liverpool, I guess, you know, with the values that, that made the club strong in the 60s and 70s and, and through into the 80s. So. 
I decided with that, you know, they had to go in really. It'd be a good starting point really because I suppose in the in the nineties to the two thousands there was a bit of a crossover in terms of Liverpool modernising. And I thought, you know, Phil Thompson would be able to explain that that, that crossover, how, you know, the uh, traditional Liverpool met modern Liverpool and how he fitted into all that. Um you know, I just found, you know, underlying all that, I found his relationship with with Hugo quite an interesting one, really, because I actually went to meet uh, Gerard Hugo first, and you know, he's he's a very, you know, sophisticated person. You know, um, met him in Paris, and you know, it was, it was a lovely backdrop. You know, not not far away from you know the, the Champs Elysees in a really nice hotel, and then you know, I met Phil Thompson in in uh, the David Lloyd. Uh, tennis, you know, uh, or gym centre. Yeah, beside uh, the academy there. Was, you know, was, yeah, yeah. So I thought, you know, that like kind of contrast was quite interesting how two people who have come from different backgrounds, you know, fundamentally came together, you know, with totally different um, approaches, I guess, to football came and, and made it work. I, I often think now, you know, there's a lot of people in football that only work with people who are similar to them. I think, you know, I wrote quite a lot in the Independence last year about how Brendan Rodgers was surrounding himself with too many people who were maybe similar to him rather than people who might challenge him. And I thought that, you know, the relationship between Thompson kind of was the opposite of that, really. I thought they both kind of, you know, dove, you know, they, 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 they complemented each other quite well because they were quite different characters. But fundamentally, as Phil Thompson said, they wanted the same thing. Um, and I think that's the most important thing. You know, you can have different characters, bring different skill sets, but if you want the same thing, um, you know, I think you, you're gonna you're gonna get some success along the way. So, so yeah, Phil Thompson was it was it was a starting point for the book, really. Just just basically connecting Liverpool's past with Liverpool's present, and just reminding people of what Liverpool, what made Liverpool great, and ultimately what how far the club had fallen in the nineties to to make it necessary for him to return to the club. Um, you know, and and have the impact that he did. Absolutely. And and one of the things I suppose that I really liked was the fact that your last book, Men in White Suits, um, this was a perfect segue, wasn't it? Because really mm. the whole point of Phil Thompson coming in was mm. to end that era of the Spice Boys. Um, and, yeah. you know, you've kicked it off. You've spoken about the way things were when he was at the club as a player. And, and obviously, unfortunately, not only how he was moved on as a player, but also then moved on in, in Graham Souness's time. And then... It leads in with him, you know. His absolute yeah. aim was he. He, I think it all kicked off from him going berserk at a match, wasn't it? He he went fucking yeah. mental um, at, at a result that we'd had on radio, um, and and from that then it sort of transpired. And and really, you know, Thompson in a sense was thrust upon Houdier, you know, someone that he really didn't know as a person, and to see that yeah. the to to see the relationship that they created together um, yeah, over six years. Really I found that really interesting how, you know, how, you know, as you just said there, that they basically were kind of put together by by the club, you know, and how, you know, certain people at the club saw that that would work. You know, Tom Saunders was behind the decision. Mm. Uh, Rick Paddy was there as well. Um, you know, people who, who I, I, when I write about these things, I often think about how Liverpool is now, as I, as I just mentioned before. And I just wonder, you know, who is there now who could, see, you know, what our manager's qualities were and, you know, see what he needed to be helped. Like, yeah, yeah. Klopp now. Yeah. I think the club could do a lot more to help him, even being honest. I think that Liverpool uh, are kind of hoping that, that Klopp will just sort it all out. And I've got to be honest, I don't 
I don't think that he will. Uh, yeah, he's only one man. He needs it. He's only one man, and he, he needs support and guidance and wisdom from above. And this is where it comes in. I mean, who would have put Phil Thompson together with with Gerard Hulier? <laughs> yeah, it's ch- and, chalk and cheese, isn't it? It's chalk and cheese, really. And 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 they they really you know hit it off from, from day one, really. Um, so yeah, I mean. Uh, I was conscious of that, you know, like the, the last book, you know, I, I like there to be like a narrative and a link between the books. And I think you kind of hopefully get that, you know, in the first chapter where, you know, there's a bit of a take up from, from uh, men in white suits where there's a, you know, there's, there's clearly something missing from Liverpool. And the, uh, the, the people in charge decided that who we are in Thompson with a, with a missing link. You'd, you'd nearly wonder maybe it's a, it's a pity whether Roy Evans might have had a, a better time at the club had someone like Thompson come in alongside him maybe a bit earlier mm-hmm. as well. But one, one thing I loved about Thompson was the fact that throughout his playing career, uh, he managed a pub team. <laughs> and I just thought that yeah. was I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Um, and then and then you move on to Danny Murphy. And the feeling I got from from reading about Danny Murphy was a very honest account. Um, of being a Liverpool player, ne- nearly sounded what it would be like for me or you, um, in a sense, you know, um, th- you know what I mean by that. And, and you know, he, yeah. he 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 comes across as a very humble bloke, you know, c- who came from a tough background, like most footballers, you know, that that we read about tend to do. Um, mm. But you know, it's it's one of those things where I just thought he he gave a very, I, I don't know how to describe it, maybe just just um, layman's. Uh, approach yeah. to 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 being a footballer at Liverpool and what it meant to him. You can clearly, you know, he, I, I think he divides opinion, doesn't he, Danny Murphy? I mean, yeah. I, I put in the uh, I put in the, the introduction that you know that his you know he he is living proof that you can score three winning goals for Liverpool at Old Trafford and still not convince people yeah. that you, you know that you're worth it, you're worthy of playing for Liverpool. I just think that in itself is is, is a story. Um, yeah, I mean, when I went to, to meet Danny Murphy in, in Manchester, it was in the, the BBC studios. I'll be honest, I, I had quite a heavy night the night before in Manchester <laughs> with a lot, a lot of my mates, and I was I was feeling quite tender, and I, I was I was conscious, I was quite conscious of it, and I think he was conscious of my my state as Your well. fragile state. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and he, he was really good. I mean, it was just it was one of those interviews where you know you, you switch your dictaphone on. Um, and he just spoke a lot. I think he had a good idea, of, you know, where to guide the interview and and the detail. You know, he, he's quite good with the media. I think Danny Murphy, you can tell, you know, when he's on on, on um, BBC. I know, like sometimes, you know, he gets some criticism, doesn't he, for being a bit sterile? I think on on, on television, yeah. but you know, sit, sitting down with him, you know, talking to him about football, clearly understands the game. Um, you know, and I, I think he was just keen to get across just how I think at that time. He was underestimated, really, as one of the main figures in the Liverpool dressing room. Um, you know, under the under the in the Julia era, uh, you know, speaking to other players, they they recognised him as a voice within that dressing room. And despite him, you know, not being the most, you know, outwardly, he he wouldn't have given, you know, wouldn't have thought that of him, I guess. But mm. you know, it might explain a little bit why why you know when Benitez was was appointed. Um, you know, he he clearly has his ideas about you know what the type of player that he wanted and and the type of dressing room that I think he wanted. And he was a, he was a big personality in that dressing room, and I think he probably fell victim to it. I mean, it, it's quite a sad. And again, you know, there's a lot of regrets in this book. I think you know a lot of players with regrets, and I suppose a, a kind of a tar- I wouldn't say that a targeted players with regrets. You know, we're going to talk about other players like Owen and Torres and stuff like that in a bit. But I think this is the decade where. 
you know, Liverpool becomes a place where, you know, I think in the past, in the in 80s and 90s, even, you know, the, the 90s wasn't a period of um, of success. I didn't get the impression, really speaking to the players, that there, there was a huge amount of regret in that period. I don't mm. think they'd have done anything differently, you know, with the player and the careers that they had. I think players now, in this decade, they're becoming, you know, very much more public figures. Uh, everybody has an opinion on them. They've become slightly more introverted. And, um, I found I found actually quite a lot of unhappiness really in in the way that you know that the, the, maybe the careers have tr- transpired. There's not really one. There's only probably one person in the book um, or two people. You would say you know um, Chubby Alonso and, and, and Jamie Carragher. Who I think I don't think they'd have done anything differently. You know in their yeah. careers or the decisions that they made. Whereas I found you know that there's a lot of players in this decade that the you know particularly the play for Liverpool the that they probably would. I think that's a consequence of the clubs, you know, certainly, you know, the the maybe the 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 flux and the change that have, have happened in Liverpool in, that, in this decade. You know, there's been so many changes, so many players, so many. Well, I suppose two two coaches or three coaches, if you include Hodgson, at the end of the decade. Mm. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of players that have kind of not really had that longevity at Liverpool as well. I think that you know, players have come for maybe two or three years. They've they've, they've moved on afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. I think with, with Murphy, that he was the first one that that, that like he proved that, that you can have an impact at a club, but you're still always trying to you know it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to always be regarded highly. And I, I find it quite quite sad the way you know there's a particularly on social media everybody is keen you know to, to put you down now, and people don't really view Danny Murphy in, in a positive light. If I'm being honest, and I think he's aware of that. But I think when you when you read the interview, you know. This wasn't me putting a positive spin on him. You know, I just let his, his words flow. And clearly, you know, he understands football. He understands Liverpool. It's just, I suppose, sad the way that the people, you know, don't regard him in, in the same light as, as perhaps some other players that have contributed far less in their Liverpool careers. Yeah, he, he probably um, he probably and, fell victim to the fact that yeah. he he was he was a similar level of of personality probably to Jamie Carragher to Stephen Gerrard, yeah. but he didn't you know no doubting his ability at a, as a footballer, but he just wasn't quite at their level, um, and yeah. that's probably where he fell victim under Benitez. You know, had he been mm-hmm. had he been a step above where he was, he probably would have stuck around, even if he was a very strong member of the the dressing room, but. Um, yeah. I suppose that leads us on then to to one of the big stories in the book, um, which is Michael Owen. And I suppose lots of people will know a lot about what's happened with Owen over the years. But and and I've read a fair amount of it myself. But I was still very surprised by some of the stuff that was in this book, which was great to read. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always great to to read something that gives you an insight into somebody and where they were at at the time. And and of course, you have to take every story with it coming from their point of view and, and probably the truth is somewhere in the middle. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, you, you, you start off and, and you're talking about a guy who had such belief in his ability and that probably didn't endear him to the scouts crowd. Let's be honest, you know what I mean? In a sense, mm. you know, um, Liverpool fans love players who can do it for their team, but they're not the, the biggest fans of, of what they describe as cocky players, you know? Mm. Um, and I think probably own unfairly probably reading the book um gets that gets that tag from from Liverpool fans and and fans alike uh, of other clubs at a very young age would you agree yeah yeah definitely i think uh, i mean when i went into michael Owen, i wasn't i wasn't quite sure what i was going to get to be honest i mean I, I i found the fact that you know somebody who can score hundreds of goals for liverpool um and then make 
I suppose the wrong career decisions can just destroy you know any legacy that you've got. I mean, I think just on a on a human level, whether it's Liverpool or any other club, I just find that quite fascinating to be honest. Just how how quickly you know people can change their view of you. So I wasn't quite sure what to expect with Michael Owen when I went. I didn't expect him to be as open as he was. To be honest, mm. um, he was he was really open. Um, I think what helped was um, you know we, we started off kind of talking about. He's involved in the agency world now. Yeah, um, and yeah. it's something that he feels really, you know, strongly about about how you know footballers arrive at the decisions that they make. Because I know he's he's made a few decisions, you know, regrets again, but I think he has. Um, and I think that kind of helped the way into the interview really because he proceeded to tell me about you know how his image was almost ma- well it was managed for him from from a very young age and although it was a reflection of him, it wasn't you know an absolute accurate reflection. You know, he, he was. A very aggressive player, Michael Owen. I think we forget that. You know, he he, he got sent off a couple of times. You know, he, he wasn't the type of player. He was the type of player that you could rely on, really. And I know he suffered from injuries, but you know, when he was fit, he couldn't. I don't think anybody could ever say, "Well, you know, came off the pitch and they say, well, Michael Owen didn't try today.'" You know, he he was he did, he did give everything. I, I I think for Liverpool. Yeah. Um. So, you know, when he played for Liverpool, obviously he did. But as you said, I, th- I think that. You know, part of the problem was that you know he he had a lot of success with England. He um, it kind of felt like Robbie Fowler was always already there. You know, as as the, he was in his shadow the, quite the a lot, wasn't he? Yeah, he was in his shadow quite a lot. Even though, I mean, I think if you look if you look back, it'd be interesting to, to you know uh, you know discuss the merits of both players. I suppose who is the better player? I mean, I, I would say. On instinct, Robbie Fowler was the better player, but his his career is probably three or four years. In total, really, um, Fowler and then Owen. If you look at, you know, he was he, he was he was in and around the scene for for eight or nine years as, as a top level player. I think until the injuries caught up with them. But I think he he always struggled with his perception and image, uh, really. And in the end, I think you know he he realised that that you know maybe if it, it, you know people might view him slightly differently had. Had he taken more of a control of it, I think that's you know what he takes into his, his agency work that he does now. Uh, he's very wary of, of kind of making players seem you know like you know it, it's good it's good to have a player who's, who's clean cut I guess. But you know he wasn't a he was a choir player. boy, wasn't he? He, he, was... he, had, he, had, he had yeah he said he wasn't like that at all really you know behind the scenes and think... no other players back that up as well. You yeah, know, I think had, Carragher calls him a nasty an, little bastard, yeah, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he has an angry side as well, so. I mean, ultimately, though, that I know that explains perhaps the way people viewed him. But ultimately, you know, that the whole Man United thing and everything else—the fact that it seemed like he was going to Real Madrid to better himself because he didn't feel like Liverpool, you know, um, at the time. He, 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 you know, let's face it: a year before Liverpool won the Champions League, if anybody had said when Benitez took over a year from now, Liverpool win the Champions League. You know, nobody would believe. You know, very few people would have backed Liverpool to do that. Yeah, and no, I think absolutely. like history, history, history is probably um, history hasn't helped. You know, his his like his his reputation, I suppose, among Liverpool fans. Um, I mean, I I honestly didn't know the story that he told me in the book. I mean, it's been written about. So I'm obviously happy to talk about it here, but you know, the, the story that he told me about how he tried so desperately to get back to Liverpool. Yeah, um, yeah. over a number of years and. You know, he even had it written into his contract with Newcastle that he could go back to Liverpool after a year for a reduced fee and stuff like that. I mean, he did try to get back, but it was circumstance that he 
that meant that he never could. Um, and by the time you know he went to Man United, they were the only club really you know that he saw as a viable option. It was it was a cold career decision by then. There was a lot of water under the bridge with Liverpool supporters and the way he felt he'd been treated by them. Yeah. Um, and I think it just it just shows a, a, an emotional side. I mean, I think this book's probably more emotional than than, than perhaps other books that that, that that have done. You know, it shows that you know I know a lot of people like to throw the money argument at them. Um, players, you know, that they should be able to put up with whatever fans throw at them um, and, and, and say to them, whether it be on social media, in the crowd, whatever, um, because they're paid a lot of money. But ultimately, it does affect the way they think and the way they react. I know we like to think of, of all footballers as being monosyllabic, boring, kind of thoughtless drones when the reality is is quite different and i think this book might might reflect that a little bit more um you know i'm sure that there are a lot of footballers who come through the academy system and and kind of very media trained and very wary about what what they say around the media but and i suppose michael owen now is at an age where he feels like he can talk with 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 a bit more authority and a bit more confidence um but yeah, I just, I just think, you know, underlying all the interviews, I suppose, it, it, it does reflect that the players feel the emotion of football just as much of the fan, as the fans. That's why they're players in the first place, because they started playing because they were a fan. So they, they, they feel all that, you know, when people start singing stuff about them, they feel that. And I think that explained ultimately why Michael Owen maybe ended up playing for Man United. Um Ultimately, you know, I'm certainly not an apologist for Michael Owen. You know, he he made that decision. It's something that he's going to have to live with. Um, but yeah, I think you know that there are mitigating circumstances that people are prepared to listen. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely agree. And in in one sense, you would nearly feel that the level of hatred um, nearly signifies the level of affection that there was actually there for him as a player. You know, and mm. and what I mean with that is, I, I suppose. Yes, he played in the shadows of Fowler, and he was never God in the in the way that 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 Fowler was was viewed by Liverpool fans. But truthfully, so many Liverpool fans were hurt by the fact that he decided to go and play for Real. And and what mm. maybe we don't take into account is this is a, a young lad who, um, first of all, has won the Ballon d'Or. Liverpool mm. don't look like a side who are really progressing at any great level. Uh, they've brought in a new manager, and he's he's not really you know he's already made his decision nearly in his mind by the time Benitez arrives or, or is very close to it and ultimately he wants to go and play with some of the best footballers in the world and and in his mind he's talking before he even leaves to go to Real and this is something we don't know at the time he's talking to Rick Parry about doing an Ian Rush and going for mm. a season and coming back and and by all accounts we were led to surmise that Parry was on board for that and maybe what mm. I'm wondering is, you know, when it comes 12 months later and, and Liverpool won't pony up that extra two million quid to get him back. I think we could have got him back for 12 million, wasn't it? And, and we were only willing to pay 10. Um, yeah, I suppose, I suppose it reflects, you know, Michael Owen's state of mind at the time. I mean, yeah. he, as we discussed before, he's a very ambitious, driven footballer who, who wanted to be the best and thought that he could go to Real Madrid and become you know, one of their main players, you know, the, the, the intrigue of going to play for, you know, that that, that club. He said, he just said, you know, he couldn't ignore it forever. He, don't, he, he thought, he felt like he might regret it if he didn't do it. But I suppose it also reflects as well, you know, just how in that time, you know, in the bubble of Michael Owen, he, 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 I suppose he thought, oh, well, I can come back in a year if it doesn't work out. Yeah, yeah. When you make a decision, when you make a decision like that, you know, 
ultimately, you know, it it gets taken out of your hands, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and you're not in control of what happens. You know, you, you you've, you've taken a risk to a certain extent. Just Absolutely. A certain situation feels a certain way at a certain time. It doesn't mean that it's going to feel the same way in a year, a year's time. You know, football can change very quickly, as we know. No, definitely. Um, you, you so I, think, those... I think it explains. Yeah, I think it, I think it explains him. You know, as as, as an individual, uh, I don't think you know. There's also other things, you know, other circumstances. You know, Benitez, I think, was quite happy to see him go, really. And, and, and you know, with the money that he had, spend it, you know, a little bit, you know, on, on the players, bringing players that he felt that he could he could make better um, and, and, and increase the numbers in the squad at the time. So, you know, there were a lot of reasons why he went. Um, I mean, he made, a, you know, a very you know, convincing argument that, you know, it, it wasn't in his thoughts for a long period of time. It's quite a simple case of Real Madrid made the offer. Liverpool were quite happy to accept it. He thought, well, if it don't go, you know, I might regret it. I, might, I can always hopefully come back in a year. You know, ultimately that's what happened. That's what he thought at the time. It's what didn't happen in the end. And I suppose he's he probably, you know, he's um, he's been paying for that decision for a long time because it's, you know, when you, it's easy to forget with Michael Owen. He what he was, you know, a national, you know, sporting icon. You know, he was. It's, he, you know, everybody kind of was interested in him. He was recognised as England's best striker. He was Liverpool's, arguably Liverpool's best player. This was before Steven Gerrard had reached his peak. You know, he, he was he was very popular. And to go from that kind of reputation to, I suppose, what he is now. I just think it's it just shows you, you know, just how ruthless sport is. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think maybe Benitez realised he was on the wane at that point, and 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 perhaps yeah. that's why he, you know, you can only assume that's why he didn't take the chance to bring him back because, you know, we were in need of a striker at the end of that season. There's no question about it. Yeah. You know, we're relying on Milan Barros and and. Uh, Jibril Cisse and people like that coming in, um, you know, so it, it does make a difference. You, you you then go on to talk about uh, Gerard Julio, and I'm, I'm conscious of not keeping you here all night and, and going through every bit of the book, you know. Um, you, you talk about Julio coming in. Um, can, can I ask a question rather yeah. than going on, going through them all individually, yeah. right? Simon, who, who did you find the most interesting to interview, or who who was the one that really, really sort of, you know, were you dying to get your teeth into when when you when you set the book up? What was what was the, what, who was the main person in that book that you thought to yourself, right? I'm I'm really, really, really want to get behind his story. Yeah, um, there's a few. Really, I mean, I decided with this book, you know, the people that I interviewed, they they had they had to, as I said at the beginning, they had to, you know, give me detail that I hadn't heard before. Mm. I think. The strength of the other books, you know, I suppose, was it did feel like a little bit like a trip down memory lane to a certain extent. There wasn't new material that people hadn't heard. So I wanted to get people, you know, who would, you know, to, to, to also you want your next book to be better than the last one, don't you? And I was yeah, thinking, of course. What could make this book, what could make this book better than the last one? And so obviously, you know, Torres was in my thoughts at the very beginning because you know, I thought, well, I kind of knew what had happened with him at Liverpool, and I was wondering whether he'd be willing to go on record and and and, and say, um, you know, give his side of the story. So, you know, that excited me certainly. I wouldn't say in terms of the personality. You know, Fernando's a, a very shy, introverted person, really. So, although I couldn't wait to get the story, and ho- I hoped, you know, until you sit down with the person, you never know what you're going to get. And I was that excited me, you know the possibility of, of, of kind of getting that story because I knew that nobody else had got it and, mm. uh, you know, 
show, shedding a different light on, on, on a part of history, really. There's, you know, that excited me. But I, I suppose to answer the question, though, that the person that I really was looking forward to was Chabi Alonso because it involved his trip to Munich. You know, you kind of get to go and see Bayern. You get to see, you know, meet Alonso. And he's very thoughtful and considerate and just actually a decent fella. You know, he's not... Um, He's the type of fellow that you'd, you'd enjoy spending time with. You know, there's no real ego there to a certain extent. He's driven, determined, he's intelligent. You know, he's just enjoyable company. who understands football and is passionate about football. You know, at the age of 34, 35, now he's still driven to play um, at the high, very highest level. I just found him a fascinating character, really, I'd say. The, the Torres interview, Simon, um, I suppose there's a lot of emotion in it um, yeah. from from you know from start to finish. As you say, it, it was nearly like he was dying to get this off his chest and yeah. and you've given him the option to or the, the opportunity to finally get his side of the story across. Um, I suppose how 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 believable was it when you were listening to him? Because like I said earlier on, there's always um, a mm. middle ground between you know, sort of where, where he sees it, where the club sees it. When you walked away from that, given your previous opinion of, of what had happened, how did you feel mm. about it? Or what, you know, did you come away feeling that maybe he'd been not done wrong by, but, but maybe not, not mm. was all as it seemed. He wasn't the aggregator for this, for, or the agitator, should I say, for this, uh, for this move to Chelsea necessarily. Well, as you say, yeah, I mean, there's always shades of, I think Rick Paddy in his interview, you know, talked about different shades of grey. Um, and he certainly, you know, the, the Torres situation certainly, you know, reflected that in football as a reflection of the time. I think, you know, because I think, you know, it's, it's easy to forget, like, just how many people were involved in this process with Torres leaving. Um, because, as he says, all, the, all the, the guns were kind of pointing at him for the reason why he ends up departing. Um you know, I think if you were to speak to Damien Camoli, you would speak to Christian Perslow, you would speak to Kenny Dalglish, you would speak to John Henry, you know, and anybody else who was in the decision-making process at that time, they might all have slightly different answers. And as you say, you know, the, the, the truth is often somewhere in the middle of all this. So Fernando's obviously given his side of the story, his impression on what happened. It's not him saying this is what happened. It's him saying, this is how I felt. This is what I saw. These are the discussions that I had. Um, so, I mean, as I said to you just earlier, I mean, I, I was kind of aware that things weren't quite what they seemed, but I didn't, I wasn't quite prepared for the level of detail that he was prepared to, to go into. You know, he, he wanted to basically, I think, I suppose, you know, just blow everybody up, really, you know, just make sure that everybody knows that how Liverpool were, you know, what an absolute state Liverpool were in. And I think that the reason why he agreed to do the interview is because I'd explained to him beforehand that, you know, that the, the benefit of doing an interview in a book is is that there's a lot more room for context, you know, and people will might understand your reasons more within the context of a book. So I explained to him, you know, I'd interviewed Rick Parry, who went into a lot of the, the detail of how, you know, what a mess the club had become under Hicks and Gillette and the problems, you know, after that. Um, and I explained, you know, that the, the, whereas if you did an interview with a newspaper, there's often sometimes, you know, it might only get a thousand words, you know, and, and points might get lost somewhere along the line. Yeah, you get subheadings um, and so, then and then the yeah, actual yeah, basis exactly. of the and story. Make headlines out of, you make yeah. headlines, you know, understand. Those bloody know, journals, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got to be careful what I say. You know. Yeah, yeah. But I can, I, can, I, can understand, I can understand why he would have been reluctant to do that. Yeah. Um, 
And I just said, look, it's, it's an opportunity for you to, to, to give your side of the story. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that that's absolutely what happened. It means that that's his impression of what happened at the time. And he was clearly very angry. You know, I think it comes across in, in the interview. He was angry and emotional. Um, when he went into the room, he was very serious initially. You know, it took about half an hour for him to kind of almost calm down. I did sense that he'd had, you know, he'd had this, he carried this kind of secret around with him for a long time. Of course, he couldn't go public on it because he'd signed to Chelsea in the end. And, you know, he couldn't really admit while he was at Chelsea that, you know, he didn't want to be there, if we're being honest. I mean, yeah. he, he wanted to be some. He wanted to be somewhere that he, he ultimately wanted to be somewhere where he would win. That was the reason why he joined Liverpool in the first place. He was motivated in the same way that Michael Owen was by trophies and winning, you know, and, and, and winning leagues. That's what he wanted. But I think that the key line is is that he, he kind of realised as he got older, you know, that that maybe you can win everything that you want, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it brings any happiness to your life and. You know, gets into that kind of emotional, emotional discussion. Yeah, he, he looked like but, a guy who but, was but, depressed. Yeah, he did. He played. He played. He's not. He's not somebody who can hide his emotions. I think Torres. He, he's very. You know, you can see when he's unhappy. I remember when he was at Liverpool, and um, you know, for a long time, you know, people were analysing his body language. You know, that that way, those two words, body language, were like throwing about at him, and it, you know, it, it was relevant. It was relevant at the time because he, he was clearly unhappy. I think. He loved playing for Liverpool. He, he, you know, he's gone on record in the book saying, you know, just how much he loved playing for Liverpool and how much he loved, you know, playing with Steven Gerrard. He understands why the fans were so angry with him because he said, if I was a fan and I supported Liverpool, they're always going to support the club over the player, which is the way it should be. Um, you know, and if he'd have seen what was going out in, in I suppose. The, the the official club line and, and the way it, it was he he perceived it as being dressed up at the time, you know he would have felt the same way. So he's got no you know axe to grind with the fans at all. That was certainly clear. He wanted to stress that because um, he'd felt like he'd, he'd he'd been treated very well at Liverpool by the supporters. But again, I mean, I'm just keen to say that you know I'm not an apologist for Fernando Torres. Ultimately, you know, maybe he could have done things slightly differently. Maybe he, he could have been at the time. Maybe he could have kind of being a bit more open with his emotions discussing it with, with the players around him I think he, he bottled a lot of his frustration up with Liverpool and it ended up spilling over um, and, and ultimately explained why he ended up going to, to Chelsea um, but he, he clearly felt let down by a lot of people at Liverpool, I think that was the message that he wanted to get across that the club wasn't being run in the way that it was being run when he joined in 2007 yeah. um, and that ultimately explains his departure just as much as his own motivation to win trophies. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, he, he rounds it out by, by saying he's he's found peace maybe with the fans because he was booed every time he came back for Chelsea and he, he comes back for that uh, Gerrard game and the fans sing his name and he, he, he goes off with a different opinion of, of everything maybe yeah. that's uh, that can go from here on in. So, you know, listen, yeah. maybe, maybe this time... Uh, what five five years time when you're doing the next century or the, or the next <laughs> decade should I say maybe we'll get the same sort of uh, stories from you about some of the other players that w- that we've that we've wondered about be it you know Suarez be it Daniel Sturridge be it whatever so um, yeah no listen uh, well listen from from the point of view of the the book 
it's an amazing read. Um, any people who are listening to the podcast should get out and and, uh, and buy it. And I'm not just giving it a free plug because you're on here. It, 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 it really is. No, it really is a good read. Um, and it's something that any, anybody who likes getting behind the, the, the fence of, of what's going on at Liverpool uh, or what has gone on at Liverpool in the past should, should get out there and get, get it bought. Okay, lads, listen, get to, uh, let's get into a little preview of the Leicester game this weekend. Um, we have a match Saturday, half five, just to bring you up to speed, Phil. That's we're great. Playing, we're playing Leicester City at Anfield. First, <laughs> at Anfield? Yeah, at Anfield, first game of the season with the new big stand, new big shiny stand. Do they, do they have a new pitch? Yeah, we do, we do. We put in a new artificial surface like uh, those, those Russian teams. Um, so no, listen, we, we've, we've got Leicester this weekend. Um, thankfully, our players have come back unscathed or pretty much unscathed from, uh, from the international duty. There's games tonight, but I don't think we've that many involved. Um, I it's, could be wrong, it was, but it was Markovic playing for Serbia. Yeah, that, <laughs> I don't think we're overly worried. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think the majority. Mane picked up a knock. He's he's okay. He's reported this morning, hundred percent fit for the weekend. Um, and Emery Chan, they reckon, is going to train later in the week, so he has a chance. But I don't know whether it'll be there or thereabouts by by the time Saturday comes around. So, um, I suppose. Paul, I'm going to bring you in now because you're you've just joined us. Cheers, so, mate. Welcome aboard. <laughs> um, how are you feeling about Saturday? What what way do you see us lining up, and what are your thoughts on how the game goes? Um, I'm very nervous about it, to be honest. Um, hopefully, Chan will play because I think we, we've missed some big style this season so far. Uh, I think Leicester are sort of the, with the kind of struggles that we've had this season. I think they're the sort of team that can really exploit like what's wrong with us, where they sit back and we kind of struggle to like punch through them and then they'll try and murder us on the break so I can see it maybe being high scoring and not great for us if I'm honest a 7-6 defeat yeah, something like that. Yeah, so, like, something realistic. Something, something like 3-all wouldn't even wouldn't surprise we, me at we, all. We do have a history of being horrifically shit when it comes to um, significant matches at Anfield, yeah. i.e. like the last game in front of the cop. The cop Jeremy got Jeremy fucking yeah. lost, yeah. <laughs> and what happened? Was, what, did we win the last game in front of the old stand? Uh, or was it a draw or something? I don't know. I don't know actually in front of Chelsea, the old stand. Chelsea, was it? Was it Chelsea, was it? At home? Simon might be able to help us out yeah. here. Do you know Simon? <laughs> that was a long time ago. So which, which game are we talking about here? We're, we're wondering the um, last game in front of what used to be the... What old, old main stand. Yeah, no, the old, oh, sorry, the old main stand. Sorry, yeah. I thought you were talking about the old centenary. No, no, no. I thought you were going back uh, that far. No, forget <laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I can barely reach back to May. Don't mind anything else. No, no, no. So, um, so yeah, listen, we're, we're, we, we've got the game. You're a bit worried, yeah, Paul. Definitely. Uh, Simon, how are you feeling about the weekend? Yeah, um, I think the uh, the games after the international breaks are always strange ones, aren't they? You never quite know mm. what what to expect. I mean, you just don't know what to expect from Liverpool generally at the moment. <laughs> I think anything can happen from game to game. There's some periods of play where you think, bloody hell, Liverpool are on the verge of something great here. And then suddenly they'll just collapse. And it's, they're just not a team that I trust, even being honest, Liverpool... Um, under Jürgen Klopp, they haven't found that level of consistency yet. Um, and I think a lot of it is explained by the lack of balance in midfield. You know, I don't think he's got that. I think he's right. You know, you just said there about Emery Chan. He has been missed. Um, just that kind of fella who can sit a little bit more. And I think, you know, when you when you look, I mean, everyone's talked about the left-back situation. It's become quite boring and repetitive. But 
I honestly think that he needs to find that that guy in the middle of the park who can sit and, and drop into the you know into the back three if you like when Moreno um, does bomb forwards because quite often you know when that happens I mean I don't want to get too tactical and boring about it but if you get a guy who can drop from the midfield into the defence when Moreno goes for the space isn't not as much space as there and he might not get caught out quite as much as he hasn't really found that, that control of the midfield I don't know whether it's it's something to avoid asking, really, uh, answering, sorry, should I say, when we've asked him, you know, in the past about whether he wants to play that type of player, when he wants to find that type of player. I think he, he's attracted to the Premier League, you know, by how, how dynamic it is and he wants players to be in the face all the time. And I don't know, I, I just think that Liverpool at the moment, there's certainly, there's certainly holes in the team. Um, I mean, I haven't said that Leicester haven't particularly started the season that well. I think they're still, you know, playing... Like they're kind of well, let's you know this season. There's no pressure. There's even less pressure on them. You know, certainly no pressure on them this season to do anything. Uh, I think you can tell that by the way he plays. I wasn't particularly impressed by the way he performed against Arsenal a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, they they were poor at Hull as well. So they need to kick the start their season. They can't really afford to come to Anfield and and lose their their Champions League campaign. You know, starting a couple of weeks, so they're going to have to start picking up points somewhere. Of course, Liverpool beat Leicester the last season at Anfield, and it was you know one of their only you know I think two or three defeats that they had in the league. So, you know, I think I think Klopp will know how to beat them, but it's just I just can't predict how Liverpool are going to play. You just you just don't know. I know it's a bit of a flaky answer to be honest, but you know, no, I, I at, think... at the moment, at, at the moment, Liverpool on the day they could go in five 0 and everybody's talking about Liverpool being a really good team again, or they could end up getting beaten quite convincingly because as. As you said before, Leicester have got players in the team who, who could who could really damage Liverpool. I think Vardy, you know, Vardy will have another good season. I think the signing they made Musa is is a similar type player who who can damage defenses. You know, that, that switch off defenses like Liverpool. I suppose. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, it could be one of those where anything could happen. Yeah, and you you mentioned there you, you've questioned Klopp a couple of times. Um, or you've been there when he's been questioned about that uh, about that sort of controller in the middle of the park, and he seems to be a little bit evasive about that, does he? Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 unusual. I mean, there's certain it's quite interesting really because his his English with answers that he he really uh, you know positive answers in English is excellent. But <laughs> his English departs. He becomes like Manuel well, in Faulty Towers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 it certainly happens that so. I don't know. I mean, I, I was quite surprised that he never signed that type of player this this summer. Uh, I thought that he needed that type of player over the left back. Now, Emery Chan, obviously, people think of him as, as as the player that can do that, but I, I think he's got to up his game. You know, by I mean, if you want to get mathematical about it, he's got to up his game by about fifteen twenty percent if he's going to become that real, you know, key player in the middle of the park for Liverpool. Yeah, he, he's twenty three now. You know, he's not he's not a, he's a young player, but he he, he certainly has he's not to a start He's, he's, he's got to start influencing the outcome of games. I think last season, the game against Villarreal, when he came in and in the home leg, you know, in the, in the second leg of the Europa League semi-final, that's the first game when I thought, you know what, he really... That game, I thought he was outstanding, the best player on the pitch by a mile. And that's the, that, that's the standard that he's got to reach consistently if he's going to become, you know, if, he, if he's going to become a, a player, an important player in a, in a successful Liverpool team. Because Liverpool need that type of player to be a success I think you know I think they need that that king you know that kingpin in the middle of the park yeah um it's such an important position and uh, you know 
get into a discussion about Steven Gerrard. I'm not saying that he should be replacing Steven Gerrard, but they need that influential character in the middle of the park. You know, Liverpool's greatest players, and you know, we talk about Liverpool's number nines and number sevens, but they've always had, you know, great midfield players, you know, midfield players that, that everybody looks towards, you know, as, as the main man when things aren't going well. And they haven't been able to get that kind of person into the team yet. Chan, I think Chan has got to really, you know, the next 12 months really become that player. Otherwise, you know, I wonder where Liverpool will finish the season. Yeah, they could they could end up similar to where they did last season, maybe a couple of places better. But but yeah, you're right. Without without that uh, authoritative figure in there, uh, alongside our captain, yeah. who needs to step it up as well. As much as I love him, you Definitely. know, uh, Definitely. he needs to step it up. Phil, um, you've been away for a little while, so I know you haven't uh, got as good a grasp of what's been going on the last few weeks. But I've what, watched most of these games. It's bizarre clocks. Yeah, you have bizarre okay. clocks. Okay, well, that's good. That's good to know. So one of the days I woke up and it was on. I was having breakfast and turned on the television and normally be watching Good Morning Sydney or whatever the Sydney AM, right? Yeah. And um, then it was just like, there's the match. Happy days. <laughs> this, but it was from the previous day. I see. And it was bizarre. There you go. Bizarre. Lovely story. Um, <laughs> it was so the Tottenham what, game. Actually, what, what do you think about another that's... night? I was there drunk. Watching I really the match don't well. shy. It was about two o'clock in the morning. Saturday. What do you reckon? Against Leicester, yeah. Like, from watching the previous matches, when I like the thing about it is, is, is Henderson is, despite what Simon's saying around Chan, right? I don't think he's as good even now at that position in midfield. I never think he, I never thought he has been that type of controlling midfielder. He can't really dictate tempo. He's great alongside somebody. He's great being able to fill in for somebody. He's great being able to get forward and, and link up with the attack and the whole lot. But he's great. He's always great alongside somebody. He's not great in his own. Or he's not great dictating the midfield. So are you talking about Chan or Henderson? Henderson. Henderson, Henderson okay, yeah. okay. Whereas Chan can dictate. I, I think Chan is, even, is, is better when he's going box to box than when he is sitting in front of the defence. That's just my own opinion. I think he is a much more dynamic midfielder than somebody who's going to screen and dictate tempo from the back. And I do think we've missed missed the trick in not signing one. Yeah. In the transfer window. Now I'm not look, Jurgen Klopp will live and die by his transfer dealings exactly. this summer, yeah. right? So I'm not I'm not trying to say Well that. not this summer. He'll he'll live no, and die by the moment next three you, or four summers. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm just saying like I'm not screaming like I'm not like half the loonies that are out there on Twitter are still going on about defensive midfielders and trying to sign fucking free Martians and stuff like that that that's <laughs> knocking around. But like in in reality, like you know, every I think most 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 of us thought that we saw, needed another midfielder. Yes, like Milner can't do that role. No, so we've really only got one midfielder that can, that can do it in any way, shape, or form, which is Emery Chan. Yeah. Now Simon said he needs to improve by fifty and twenty percent if he's going to be regarded as one of the best in the game at, at, at doing that role. Mm. But at this moment in time, he's the best that we have. He's the only one that we have that can really do it. Now, if you look at the game against Leicester this weekend, if Chan is not fit, then the midfield basically picks itself. I still can't. The Wijnaldum one. Baffles me in terms yeah, of transfer. Me, me too. Me too. Like when Yaldum's best position is probably where Coutinho is playing off the left hand side in in the forward line that's there where he wants to come in off the. He's not necessarily a winger. He's an attacking midfielder as such. Yeah. Um, but we seem to be playing him as as, as a third prong midfield. I I would I wouldn't even mind seeing Coutinho and him switch positions. Yeah, drop Coutinho yeah, back into so Coutinho right, has yeah. played that position many uh, a time. He did in thirteen fourteen. He played it alongside yeah. Henderson and, and he was much, he was much better in there. He was probably playing more what Lalana is than what Wijnaldum is. Um, Even still, I, I I still think he would give us more if they switched the two of them because Wijnaldum hasn't like as much as he's done some nice things. I haven't seen him 
you know, explode on a match or, or anything I don't, I don't like know if... Uh, no, a big, a big fear of, on that one was that the Newcastle fans said he only ever turned up in home matches. He never yeah, so hopefully he goes and bashes Leicester <laughs> now with a couple of goals. Um, but for, for me, Coutinho over the last couple of seasons, absolute pieces of brilliance and, and we all love him for that. But he gets, he gets caught in possession a, a fair amount. He gives the ball away a fair amount and, and maybe Klopp just doesn't trust him in the middle of the park. He says it's easier if you're, if you're 15 yards forward, I can handle you giving away the ball there. Because you're more likely to, to have a dangerous impact on play. The only problem you have with that is when Coutinho's playing off the left-hand side. It leaves Moreno or whoever else. And whoever's playing at left-back leaves him exposed. Milner was exposed in the but last But you know match. what? I, I've watched Wijnaldum every game. My, one of my biggest criticisms of him is that he doesn't look like he wants to get involved in terms of, you know, when I say tracking back. I can't imagine him, be, if you play him as an attacking midfielder on the left, I can't see him giving that same sort of um, uh, cover to, to whoever's playing left-back in the way that, say, Lalana did last season. And he doesn't seem a player who wants to get into a tackle. He, 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 he shadowed Spurs players around during that game. For me, personally, watching it, I couldn't understand how he wasn't more involved yeah. in the game. And he, he didn't get into the tackles. He wasn't in on top of them straight away but now, again on the ball he looks he looks like he can create something and yeah, do something on yeah. the ball which is, which, is, which is why if he's in that attacking quadruple or whatever yeah, it is, I know right? that's that, up yeah, the top that. right he can have more of an impact because he doesn't need to do the tracking back he doesn't need to do the defensive stuff even on the ball sometimes though he looks really nervous as if he's kind of like geez, I'm awful deep here getting on the ball mm. so like you said I, I reckon Coutinho would be more of a midfielder that way than he would like yeah. he's far more comfortable taking the ball he can carry the ball obviously like he, yeah, like like Steve was saying, like you'd wonder about him, like how how much he'd give the ball away in that role. But I think he looks a lot more comfortable there than when Alden does. I think I'm going to drop back into that book for in, into Simon's book for a minute. You know, he was talking about. I think it might have been um, Jamie Carragher was talking about when players come in to a completely different environment, and and you can only imagine that what he had at Newcastle or even at PSV was so different in terms of levels of intensity than what he's come in and, and, and dealing with now with Jurgen Klopp's training regime and the way he wants the team playing. Um, maybe that, you know, we have to cut him some slack. We have to cut everybody slack. Let's be honest, we should only be I'm, making... I'm, real... not, I'm not slaughtering. No, I know you're not. I know you're not, but I'm saying people are and I've been critical of him as well. I but will saying, be by Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah true. true. <laughs> um, but I think, I think 10 games in is kind of where you want to be yeah. making a call, both on the team and on individual performances because everybody needs a chance to, to bed in um, and and... I suppose get a feel for for really what we're going to do this season. How do we? How does each people or how does each person? Sorry, feel we line up this this week. You know how how would Simon? How would you? How would you line up uh, with a starting eleven this this Saturday against Leicester? Well, if um, if Chan if Chan's, uh, if Chan's fit, I think he he's going to start him. Um, I mean, I suppose the the you know defense won't change too much with it. It'd be, you know, climb massive. I thought massive had a had a decent debut actually. You know, yeah. difficult, difficult, difficult game to go in and just kind of settle. I mean, I think some people talk about him like he's like Rio Ferdinand. I don't think he is that type of player. If I'm being honest, you know, he's he's quite live, isn't he? But what 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 he does have, he has a, quite a calm presence. I think and that 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 that's a good thing because Liverpool haven't looked calm defensively for a long time. Um, and he was alert, and he, I thought he had a really, you know, dodgy first ten minutes, but he overcame that, and actually was probably one of Liverpool's best players. So he's got to start. Now the big, the big ones at left back, really, because I think, um, you know, do, do you carry on with Milner? You know, I thought Milner had a, a great game again. I thought he had a great game at, at Spurs, but I don't think he's going to play there every single game. I wouldn't be surprised if um, if Milner came back into the middle of the park with Chan. 
Um, and obviously Henderson, I think Klopp is, is, is trying to manage the games that he plays at the moment because his heel problem still hasn't quite cleared up. And I agree with what all I just said there about Henderson. I think he's going to face, you know, the, the next six to 12 months, I think he's going to define him as a Liverpool player, whether he, he stays and really becomes, you know, the captain for a long term or whether, he, you know, Klopp actually decides, you know what, you know, we, we, we'll sell him because... You know, all the indications were you know, a couple of months ago that Tottenham were quite willing to take him, and, and Liverpool certainly didn't dismiss. You know, didn't dismiss that notion. Klopp didn't dismiss the possibility of him going. Um, you know, I think there's there's question marks to be answered there. So, I wonder whether you know Milner might move back into the centre for this game, and where that would leave equally. You know, I think it's been quite interesting Liverpool under Klopp because obviously when he came in with Dortmund, you know, when he was at Dortmund, he played like a four-two-three-one in most of the games, and since becoming Liverpool manager, he hasn't quite picked out that number 10 that he wants. He clearly doesn't fancy Coutinho as a number 10 because he hasn't played in there. Um, and equally, he hasn't signed. He hasn't signed that number 10. So, you know, I think I think we've got, it looks like Liverpool are going to play 4-3-3. So you would expect Van Alden to play there. Um, obviously, Mane has quickly become, you know, a very important player for Liverpool. You know, every time he, you know, he has, uh, you know, there's any, any reports of an injury, you know, people are going into panic mode already, aren't they, with him? Um mm. So in the same way, I think what what Rane does for Liverpool is something that they haven't had for a few years. You know, he's got that pace, that spark, that spike as well. He's an aggressive. You know, he looks quite angry on the pitch. You know, he doesn't look happy when things, um, you know, don't quite come off him, but he responds in the right way. In a similar way to Suarez, I know they're different type of players, but he's got that 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 little bit of edge. I think that Liverpool have needed. So yeah, obviously Mane starts. Um, I think Sturridge might start as well. I think Firmino might might actually perhaps drop out in this game because I think they need obviously I think Leicester will come to Anfield and try and soak up possession and try and break them on the counter attack um, and you know in those kind of tight games where you need somebody who's going to create a bit of space and do something a little bit unpredictable I think Sturridge, Sturridge might get the nod ahead of Firmino for that I think ultimately we've just got to get used to this you know the fact that Klopp says that, that Sturridge he will play in some games he won't play in every game you know not everybody's going to play in the same position every game um, you know, there will be some chopping and changing depending on, you know, the opposition and everything else. So the idea that Sturridge will play every game up front, I don't think he will. I think he'll play some games off the right, maybe some games even off the left. I think on Saturday he'll probably play up front. Because um, for me, no sense to play better. I think away against the, the, the better opposition when you know, they've got to close them down and, 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 you know, narrow the angles a little bit. Uh, Sturridge obviously doesn't do quite as much running, so he'll, he'll be needed to create, you know, extra opportunities for other players perhaps and get, you know, two people marking because on his day, you know, Sturridge, you know, he, he occupies a whole defence really, you know, because he's, he's the only player, well, aside from Coutinho maybe, who can do something out of completely nothing, I think. So, um, yeah, big game for him as well, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, that's that, that's fair enough. Um, Paul, line up. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't. I don't think there's that many changes. Like, I, like I actually, honestly think our squad is like so kind of thin that there's that not that many changes. There's always going to be the same kind of couple of debates with each match. I, like, if Chan is fit, I think put him straight in, even if you can only get an hour out of him. We like we have to try, try and kind of shore up the midfield and get a bit of control in there. Um, after that, yeah, you're probably looking at what he's going to do up front, and I think it's, I think it is one of the games that he'll fancy storage for, where a team is sitting back. So it's a, it's not it's not like he's trying to ask like storage to go mad chasing the way kind of like Firmino and Lallana and all do. So I think he'll start storage. Um, the defense, 
Lovren and Matip, they have to start really. Um, Karius is still injured, so Pancake Superman still starts and goal. Um, yeah, the midfield, yeah, Chan, Henderson, and I think, well, I think you'll stick Lalana in there. And then Sturridge, Firmino, and Coutinho up front. You think Mane drops out? Oh, fuck no, I forgot all about him. <laughs> um, you forgot about our best player yeah, so far this season. <laughs> That's how engaged I am this season. <laughs> um, no, he'll play. Who'll, who'll he drop? I don't know. Coutinho. Yeah, why not? Yeah, okay. Okay, um, let's get some predictions from you boys. Simon? Do I get to pick a team? Oh, sorry. I oh, forgot, fuck I forgot. No, no, sorry, Phil. Phil, let's quickly get a team from you then. Apologies. <laughs> More or less the same. <laughs> what the lad said. <laughs> what the lad said. <laughs> no, I don't think Chan comes back in if he's fit. That's yeah. the only, I, I'd like to see him back in, but I don't think yeah, he comes straight back so in. I think it'll be uh, Hendo, Wijnaldum, Lallana. I think the midfield stay the same to, to that that was at Spurs. And then up, I think Coutinho drops him for storage. I think storage does come in as well. Storage or Origi. Uh, we keep forgetting about Origi. Well, but that's, that's, that was going to be my shout, actually. Yeah, I think, I think Origi might come in. I think Origi is slightly ahead of storage in the pecking order. Well, I'm just looking at Hoot and, and Morgan as the two centre-halves. I think Origi has the pace we'll and the physical yeah he's the physical presence and the pace to to deal with them in either way if we want to yeah. if we want to chip it into him and and get him to hold it up he, he can do that despite their size he, he can also go- get in behind them he's a goal threat right and if you look at a, a forward line of Firmino uh, Origi Mane. and Mane you've got pace and you've got goal threats across mm. the three of them and Origi's happy to drift across that three as well yeah and Firmino was and very good coming in off the left against whatever shoebox team that we played in the in the league cup yeah, uh, Burton, Albion, I believe. Uh, I think just, just the work rate that Origi can put in, I think, means that there are game, a lot of games that Klopp will just automatically start him over Sturridge in. Because yeah. it's obvious that Sturridge can't do that much running anymore. Like, I think it does affect the team when, you, when he's up front. If, if you're asking the, like, the front three to do a lot of running, to do a lot of defending from the front. I think you get more change of Sturridge coming in in this type of game where 55, 60, 65 minutes yeah and you just let him just go. he does still a lot he still does a lot of running no he does but you know, just not very fast it's just <laughs> it's, glacial no it's 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 just it's it's not I suppose we're not getting the impact from it I think he still has a huge part to play I think we are all too quick to write him off and I think he could I'm still have him a, off. I, I still think he could have a, a massive season for us but um, just right now you know, it's going to take a little bit of time maybe for him to, to work his way back into that side. Um, okay, Simon, give us a prediction for the game then. Yeah, I uh, agree with what everybody else said there about goals. I think um, I think 3-2 Liverpool. Yeah. 3-2 Liverpool and lots of people scratching their heads as usual. Yeah. No, uh, wouldn't be Twitter uh, if they weren't, would it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, Polly? I want to stick with 2-all. 2-all. Yeah. Phil? I think the the new stand is going to have a big impl- impact. Yeah. The, the yeah. trust has been waiting for a while now to show its real value well, to we'll, the club. We'll, we'll have what an extra eight thousand people not singing. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be an incredible silence between the fifth minute and the eighty fifth minute. <laughs> I know. I, I, I think it will make a difference. Like yeah. obviously, the first day, new stand. The, you yeah. know what I mean? The, the sense that it's like uh, oh, there will be a buzz around yeah, the place. Has, it, for, it, def, it definitely add to it. And um, the pitch looks a lot better than it has done for the last couple of years because they've been finally been able to reseed it or whatever they've done with it. Right? I know it's not a new pitch and they plan to put a new pitch in at the end of the season, but like that type of stuff will get, lend a natural buzz. Unfortunately. Whenever we play Mignolet and go, we tend to either concede no goals or at least two goals. Yeah. So if we concede one, we're conceding two. So we're going to need to score at least three to win. Right. But if we concede none, we might only need one to win. That would and that be. would allow us then to score off a set piece, which has been the sort of forte for the season so far. So we, we might have to go into new territory or we might be able to stay in the same territory and win the match. Do I think we win? 
I think we wait home game, bit of an extra buzz. I think we get we we get the win over it. Um and that's probably the best we, the best result that's going to come out of this. What's Minile actually did okay against Spurs as well, so he's almost certainly not going to play well against Leicester. <laughs> <laughs> what score? Um, I think it'll be. I, I I think we'll get we'll get we'll score more than two goals. It just depends how many Leicester score. Okay, that's excellent insight. Thanks. I'm for that. sorry, but I, I just. It's, <laughs> I, I, think if, I think if we score lots of goals and they don't score many goals, <laughs> we have a chance of winning. But I know if they score, they're going to score two. <laughs> so it's really how many can we score to win the Fuck match? Off. He, he even actually oh. said if they don't score at all, and we we might only have to score one to win <laughs> yeah. the match. Proper fucking Michael Owen show. <laughs> Um, I'm going two one win. Okay, so uh, so there if we, we have. It. If we concede one, though, we're going to concede yeah, two. Yeah. So you're going to need to go more than two. I think one would be disallowed that we concede. One would be disallowed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, let's move on to some trippers chat. Uh, first up is uh, at Smeeter <laughs> at Smeeter is it yeah, at, at Smeeter Vladimir uh, Nick Bean and he asks for the first time in ages our squad looks lean in a good way uh, why have we been booking our squad with shite for so long does he mean actually like physically they look thin or no I'd say he means we have a smaller squad than usual we've got rid of a lot of the shit that we had hanging about still have place. a lot of shit there but they're playing oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's the problem um, no I think he means a lot of the shit the likes of Balotelli the likes of people that you just didn't want around Markovic has gone on, on loan now uh, Skirtle has gone Markovic's gone on loan yeah he went to Sporting in the end for Did the he? season yeah yeah what happened um, on transfer deadline day even Markovic is mad very little <laughs> very little to do with Liverpool apart from Balotelli fucking off to Nice and being given a free transfer he was given a free transfer he was wasn't, wasn't a loan tra- wasn't a loan just cut ties with him off you go off see you go. later chief and it's the best bit of business we did all summer so I um, thought it was the Ferrari the Carragher tweeting something yeah basically Carragher uh, made a, a snide comment um, about him you know and Balotelli retorted with uh, basically saying that Carragher was shite and, and uh, did he? yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jesus did you not see that I heard about Carragher saying that Nice are paying over the odds for yeah, yeah. Yeah. even, even on a free it, transfer I can't help but feel Nice are paying over, over the odds, odds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, I heard that uh, bit and then what did uh, Balotelli came back with we're getting feedback there um, cheers thanks for that I've got earphones I forgot that well. yeah. cheers thanks I'm not used to having you here over the last few weeks sorry man I didn't have earphones but thankfully one of you has it up real high so we can hear someone has it on fucking death uh, Bal- Balotelli that's, yeah, that's me that's me uh, Balotelli came back with Jamie Carragher uh, bad player wonderful hater at Cara 23 who cares and this little this little he put in a little picture of a cup with best hater on it <laughs> you know, did he really what? do that uh, yeah, dick bag yeah, yeah, he, he, he tweeted Christ. that he tweeted that but um, did he really yeah, do that he tweeted that two days ago <laughs> that was the best he could come back with yeah he's <laughs> Oh, Stop man. Him, you know. Uh, like I, I used to laugh about Teddy's madness, but come on, that's a bit of original. That's rubbish. Yeah, he's that's genuinely that's rubbish. Terrible. That's the worst. That could be up there for worst comeback in 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even yeah. Michael Jackson's comeback today was better than that one. <laughs> um, so Nick, Nick being asked. Why is it taking us so? Did you not see Michael Jackson's comeback today? On no. YouTube, they reckon they found Michael Jackson. <laughs> he's alive again. He's in a bunch of clothes. He's in a bunch of clothes in the back of a car and somebody's saying, there he is, he's alive. Yeah. All <laughs> the clothes in the back of a station wagon. That's Michael Jackson now. <laughs> he's All hiding right. in the back of a station wagon. <laughs> As you do. Yeah. Anyway. Um, why have we been bulking our squad with shite for so long? I don't know, because we struggled to sign good players, so... 
we take and, chances on people who might be yeah basically reasons. we've done it even like remember when Rafa came in like and he, he signed a few parallels and he signed a few Nunes and fucking <laughs> yeah, yeah. this has just been going on for absolutely years but come here is, is it not like this This like I think is it not the, 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 the issue is that we're just crap at getting rid of players it's not so much we like loads of teams buy crap players and get rid of them right yeah. we buy crap players and never get rid we, we tend to go on the lonely forever yeah. stage yeah, where, well, I think Klopp has improved that yeah, just listen he kept him for a reason and, and I can only assume because he hates Sacco <laughs> I can only assume Imagine he kept him because because Twitter loves Sacco and he hates Sacco <laughs> do you reckon he looks at Twitter and goes right I don't care how good he is yeah. I hate him now yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it looks on a Thursday night storage is definitely not starting he's not starting uh, uh, look at all these look at all these wankers going around storage <laughs> never starting for me again Elori, no, <laughs> who's he I've I'm never seen him good luck let's forget about Twitter let's, let's. is Elori was Elori loaned out or is he still there uh, no, he's stay, he's there under twenty threes for the season. So, all right, um, that's interesting. To answer your question, Nick, we reckon it's because we're crap at selling players. We, we haven't been great at shifting players in the past, and let's be honest. Uh, also, uh, the fact the fact that we we, we take we, chances. No, but we've gone into a season with no European football, right? So it's it's been the first time in a long time we've been able to afford ourselves the idea that you can. Streamed, um, streamed, streamlined the squad so you yeah. only really need to cater for a league There's campaign. probably the, the money factor as well the fact that a lot of mid-table and average clubs had a lot of cash to spend yeah. meant that we were able to get what we felt was a reasonable fee for players that we could do without mm. and, and that's probably realistically a part of it um, the question on uh, uh, I suppose the big Brenowski asks uh, or at the big Brenowski asks the question that on that's on everyone's mind can Mario realise his Ballon d'Or ambitions with Nice um, well obviously yeah well like it just comes down to whether the manager believes in him you know like he, for what a decade now he's just had these managers that don't believe don't in believe him and him. it's, it's all their fault really he's been managed by some of the best club managers in world football ever but don't, they just don't understand exactly Mario. they just don't get it they just don't get it. They're like they're obviously spoofers. Yeah, <laughs> spoofing rats. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Spoofing <laughs> rats. <laughs> um, no. So I think uh, Dunica, you know yourself. Um, Balotelli's a complete tosser and good riddance. Do you reckon? Um, yeah, just just a little bit. I reckon he's the crack. Uh, no, I, I, I I'd say have, I, I used. To, uh, although he doesn't drink, so you wouldn't have a few points. A, oh, he'd probably go um, with you for a few points. Um, you know what? I've, the table I've never been so happy. To see a Liverpool player go out the door. No, that was that was scary. No, like, even scary. Like genuinely, not since Downing and Johnson and many other players. Yeah, but they, they were all terrible. To see go out the door. I understand. Like, I, think, I, I knew Balotelli was going. The fear was that Skirtle would last the call. Like, I know what you're saying about that. I do get that, and and I'm delighted he's gone. And last night is a prime example. <laughs> to see him being hundred percent, one hundred and ten percent Skirtle. He was, he was last night. It was brilliant. Um, Showing us all what, we're, what we're missing. Just the circus that went with Balotelli without ever doing one single decent thing at the club. Good riddance. Um, uh, sorry, Sam Elliott at, at S Elliott zero one says stuck on a desert island with Andy or Brenzi. One bullet, who do you kill? <laughs> I'd fucking so kill myself you're, you're if I was on an island with him. Island. You're stuck on the desert island with Andy. I, I assume he means Andy and Brenzi. Yeah, you have one bullet. Bullet, who do you kill? Unless, unless he means you're one of them two. And you, then no, you... unless he means you're on the island with one of them two. 
do you kill them Don't or yourself? <laughs> you just you just use the bullet on yourself to say fuck it. It's not worth it. I'm not hanging around. Yeah. If I kill him, I'll go mad. So let, but let's take it that you're on the island with both of them. Okay. Right. And since we have Renzi here beside us, <laughs> I'm fairly sure he's going to opt for Andy. <laughs> now I'm not hundred. going to be involved about this. I'm not hundred percent sure. But uh, who do you shoot if you have Andy or Renzi? Who do you who do you put the and bullet on the desert? The but you're on the island. There's three of you on the island, and you have a gun with one bullet, and you have to shoot one of the two of them. Well, right, I'll be straight on this one, right? And you have to think practically. You would kill Andy because he's he's mentioned on a few occasions how he'd like to try cannibalism, right? So yeah. just our own personal <laughs> yeah, safety, yeah, yeah, yeah. you take out Andy. When the and coconuts probably, start to dry up, you start <laughs> worrying about your own. Because if you take out Brennan, at least you know that Andy's looking at you and he's he's, he's sizing you up for the fire. <laughs> yeah. He's like saying, if things don't happen here soon, I'll knock him over the head in the sleep and yeah. I'll start cutting him up. To be fair to Polly, he probably just wouldn't be arsed killing you. Yeah. you know? <laughs> what, what about like, you know, trying you know, try through the mouth like to, to kill one into, into the other yeah, I did one. think yeah. about that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I thought about That's that. That's what I'd go for if It'd I was fucking hard to get just, with me and Andy. It'd be hard to get just lined up though. How could you talk it? Into. Now, lads, can you just come in? I'm just going to take a picture just, of you. If you could just, just open a... your mouth, and Andy, if you could just line up your temple with, with where Paul's eye socket is there, if you wouldn't mind, that'd be great. But, like, well, like, obviously, I have a huge head, so if you just shot Andy in the head, chances are it's it would ricochet my, off uh, yours. As well. Yeah, so you could probably get it wouldn't even penetrate the fucking skin, you mallet headed cunt. <laughs> Andy's got a pretty big mallet as well. Yeah, there's he a does have a, it does have a They'd uh, want to be fucking big bullets. That's <laughs> all I can say. You want an anti tank gun. Anti aircraft, you're not those huge big bullets. Surface to air missiles. <laughs> there's bullets in the memorial thing in Hyde Park in Sydney, which are like 18 foot tall. That's what you need to take you to. Philip McGill asks us uh, at Nike Air Mac, uh, he says, What's our take on possible investment? In, in for what? Like? Uh, for the Ch- I assume he means the Chinese possible investment coming into the club. Myself and Ray spoke about it when we had our little intimate session. Um, but were you we still podcast for us, way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> were they good? Yeah, no, no, they were terrible. Um, but but in saying that, um, what's the take on possible investment from the Chinese? I assume you, you heard the stories of what might be going on. <laughs> no, genuinely, right? Gen- I've, I've watched more AFL and rugby league and the All Blacks against the Wallabies. And that's all they talk about. Surf's up, dude. I actually watched the Surf Championships from from Johannesburg as um, well. I'm going to interrupt this as well. Yep. Phil doesn't really care, but I've just checked in and Ireland are beating Serbia 1-0. Jeff Hendrick, what a player. Happy days. Um, that's spectacularly, nobody gives a shit. Like I seriously, well, how, how annoyed were you that, Paul, how annoyed were you that with International Football Weekend so soon after the Euros? Like, they should just put a ban on International Football. They do it every season, don't they? Like three games and then this fucking shit. Like, that's just yeah. like, you're every just, season, you're just getting into the flow of matches yeah. and all of a sudden it's an international break and you're like, why? They probably should break in November and give them a longer yeah. run of let them play two or three matches yeah. at that point uh, that, that would be better if the international teams stayed together for longer played more matches in a, in a period yeah, yeah. of time and then didn't have to break up well, if, the if, season if you did if, like, if you could do your qualification in a three week spell at the end of each season almost like a tournament in yeah. the years where there's no tournaments just like do five aside mini leagues no Are no you? but like you could do you could do how many games did <laughs> Be brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> Five side mini leagues, two games side by side, yeah. no keepers, no keepers, yeah. fly keeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but you, you could, you could, you could pick a month and just do the qualification campaign in a month at the end of the season, where the tournament would normally take place in the years outside the tournament. Yeah, no, and well, yeah, that'd be good. Like that's something you'd kind of look forward to as well. Yeah. Where like, like it's not a pain in the tits. Like, It'd be like, oh, or like that's here's our big qualifying campaign. Here's up. four matches or six matches. We've got, we've got yeah. two matches home, two matches away, that yeah. type of thing, and maybe over the Christmas time when the when the Christmas breaks are going on, that you do a similar type thing. 
thing and yeah. it just keeps things ticking over. As for Chinese, Chinese investment, yeah. Well, I'm actually going to jump forward. That, that's mental because like, I'm going to jump forward. Hang on a second. With the Chinese from years. Carl Canelli asked us, "Are we looking forward to Ireland's World Cup qualifying campaign getting underway, and will we qualify?" So let's answer that one first because I've just given the score. All right, right, right. Um, so I am looking forward to it. I am back enjoying watching Ireland for a long time. Brilliant. During Trapattoni, I really hadn't. Yep. And even during the last qualifying campaign, I was him and hawing about it. I watched the matches, but yep. but no, I'm back. I'm back enjoying it. And I think, yeah, I think we have a decent chance of qualifying. I think, mm. I think if we were very, very hard to beat. Look, I'm, I'm going to be honest about it. You're I, an I, Italian fan. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's I'm, I'm looking say. forward to our chance yeah. of winning the yeah. next World Cup. Yeah, I know. No, no, in fairness, with international football, I love the tournaments. Yeah, and couldn't care less about it in between. between. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, what I'm like saying. The, if, like, if, I couldn't give a gay about the actual qualification, but if we get in the World Cup, like, yeah. I'll be watching every match. Yeah, you know? your head yeah. dyed green. Yeah, basically, yeah. like an absolute <laughs> wankster. <laughs> but no, um, that, that, genuine, that's why I think condensing it into a into a month or something like that would gain interest. Would and, gain more and, interest again. Yeah. But that's because you've got Champions League, you've got Europa League, you've got football twenty four seven. Yeah, it's now. overload, isn't and it? it's like the, it's big clubs, big and matches. the quality of international football it's isn't as good. No. Yeah, yeah. So let's jump back. Sorry, then we're, we're, Chinese we're investment. Chinese investment. Chinese yeah. investment. Fucking hell, man! Since before FSG took over, we've had Kenny Wang. We've had all sorts going on. There was even in, in that in, in Simon Hughes' book. There's there's talk the tax and China watcher now. I know yep. he wasn't Chinese, but you know it's, it's still tight. that. It's that Asian investment, right? Yeah. It's, it's, and it never happens. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and actually, in in his book, he talks about DIC, and you really do see how much of a clusterfuck that was. You know what I mean? I, how, do you remember the, the CIC rumors? The oh, China, I do. I China do. Investment, but I, I never realised, or maybe I didn't. I forgot about the fact. Parry and Moores actually went out to Dubai, and. Um, for a holiday, they went. No, they went it's out. To, they went out to meet uh, the sheikh mm. that was in in Mansour. charge of no, not sheikh, not sheikh, 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 sheikh Mohammed, sheikh Mohammed in, in charge of DIC, and they staying. They were put up in the Burj Al Arab. They they weren't given a, a plane out. They had to rent their own plane and go out. Oh, that's um, terrible. Well, it is kind of in the sense that you know these lads are trying to weld them and get them to sell them their football club, and they won't even put a plane on. Then they go out there. They're staying in the Burj Al Arab, and they're meant to meet Sheikh Mohammed, and they're told, "Oh no, he went horse riding today instead." He just didn't bother his whole showing up to the meeting that was meant to be happening. So if you had 120 billion sitting in the bank. Would you give a shit? I know, but this is my point. So, so, so many people like there's people out there who have our money spent who we're going to buy now with this new investment. Uh, so much of it is just different consortiums out there just wanting to get their names in the paper. They just they say to a to so and so, oh yeah, we might have an interest in Liverpool, and that's them in the headlines for the, the next. The only weeks. the only thing I think that might be going on is some form of naming rights or something to do with the new stand some big yeah. sponsorship deal to do with the new stand because it wasn't it wasn't Garuda yeah was what like sponsored the, the gear and was talked that they would sponsor the main stand yeah they've that disappeared now because there's whatever betting company is sponsoring the bet 365 isn't it or is it Victor bet or whatever. bet Victor sorry or what bet fair I'm just trying out bet yeah. companies. Oh, bet Frank, whatever yeah. it is, right? So bet trippers, bet trippers. <laughs> By <laughs> the way, our new betting company, <laughs> bet trippers. <laughs> I was just thinking, maybe we should launch um, a, a training a, gear. No, we should launch. I maybe, think we should launch training gear as well. No, we should launch a, a, a train buyout, like the trippers, an FSG buyout, like just, a campaign. Just, like... just, just tell the Herald that we're going to try and buy Liverpool and just get mm. some get some uh, investment. No, just get some publicity for the next three or four weeks <laughs> for the pawns. Yeah. 
a gang of absolutely useless tossers have decided to have a go at Brian. I'd say they take Hicks and Chiller back then before they have any of us, any of us to hear it. Um, do you okay. know much about leverage words? Do you? I, I know. A bit. I actually know a bit of. Myself. I know a little bit about. I, them. I think. I think we probably have you a enough. nice suit. I, I have a couple of nice suits. Remember, don't wear brown shoes with it if we're going to impress the investment only, bankers. Only if we're going to London. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's I've important never, not to wear brown shoes if we're going to meet the investment bankers in London. Just for the record, in 16 years, I've never worn brown shoes to a business meeting. Come on. There you go. Come on. Um, Will we wear black shoes, then? I always wear black shoes. What about navy out. and white spats? No. No? No, that's just for when I'm doing the Charleston. <laughs> or meeting Al Capone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So China. Um, yeah, I think, I think, I don't know whether it'll be China. Somebody will be investing in the new stand and it'll probably be about 120 million and um, it won't appear in the books until 2017, 2018 instead of 2016, 2017. Grand job. Uh, uh, Phil McGill asked a second question. He says, as, as Irish uh, Liverpool fans, do you count yourselves as tourists when at Anfield? I don't, personally. Whenever I, I leave Ireland, I'm a tourist. Right. I don't count myself a tourist because I go enough to feel... Fact, whenever I leave Dublin, I'm a tourist. So if I go to the Rock of Cashel, I'm there as a tourist. I'm touring right. around the site to see what it is. Okay, you're going to be... If I, go into Dublin, if I go into town, I consider myself a fucking I think, tourist. If I, I leave Clondalkin. I think when I go to Anfield and you see some Scandinavian fans or some Asian fans or wherever they might be from... And they're kind of looking around. They're getting their picture with the Bill Shankly statue. They're getting their picture at the the gates. They're around at the memorial. That to me signifies a tourist. Somebody who's going to get there once, maybe twice. Wants the pictures, everything. I'm just there. You know, I, I try and get to the to like nearly like a local. I try and get to the ground about half an hour beforehand, twenty minutes beforehand if I can, um, to cut out all the shite and having to to you know mm. deal with all the the crap that goes with it. Get in, watch the game. Get back out again. You know what I mean? That's. Do you leave a bit early to beat the traffic? No, I never, ever have no. left a game early. No. I hate it. Do you? Yeah. Even when Hodgson was there? Doesn't matter. I never. I, uh, in the six months, I was only at one game in that six months. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was, I can't remember what I match think it was. I, but I, I visited many times because I was hoping that he'd die. <laughs> I was with you, actually. <laughs> I was with you. Yeah. You were at that match. I think it was Wigan, was it? Or, no, Wigan. no, that wasn't Wigan. Stoke? We, we've seen it. We've seen many Stoke, Stoke matches about eleven times. <laughs> yeah. For fuck's sake, we've witnessed one goal in the whole time that we went to all the Stoke matches. It's phenomenal stuff. That's some fucking fixture to pick. Like, oh, that's probably back in the Pulis days. Yeah, well, spectacular. Pulis, Hudson, Kenny. Oh, it was spectacular stuff. Um, okay, at our left back uh, asks, would you rather eat the same three meals for the rest of your life or a shite sandwich once a month? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think he means not a great sandwich. <laughs> he means a, a sandwich, sandwich made of fecal matter once a month. And then have whatever you want. And then whatever you want. Or, or eat the, the same, same three. three meals. And I can only assume he means the same breakfast, lunch and dinner every All day. The time, the every life. day. Do you get to pick this, those three meals? Yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna allow you. you I'm gonna allow you pick your three meals. Yeah, I'm not eating a shite sandwich. No, that, <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't matter if somebody said you have to eat cardboard for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not having a shite sandwich <laughs> once a month, even if it's my own. You know, yeah. even if I can. No, right, at least even if one's all creative, you kind of have. Mm, I don't know, like a, a shite sandwich every month. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever about the one off, right? Because you imagine like the, the mental thoughts going, oh Jesus, I have to do that today. Yeah, can you, 
<laughs> can you imagine waking up? Oh no! What's wrong with you? Today is shite sandwich day. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to eat that for the three the three meals that day. No, you just have to eat one. Why do I sandwich. feel so anxious? What am I forgetting? <laughs> oh, Paul, it's shite sandwich day. Oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> Always sneaks up on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why did I have the chili? Oh, can you just imagine the, the anxiety of knowing that it's coming up that week? Like and is it a different consistency every week? I like, don't know. Sometimes it's slopping over the sides of the bread and all, is it? To be fair, what's what's going through your head at half five in the afternoon when you think, I know what I'll ask the three lads. I'll ask them, would they like the same three meals for the rest of their life or a shite sandwich once a month? <laughs> Do you reckon he's on that? Uh, like, he's right, he's, he, that's an actual decision he's been, yeah. been presented with. Let's uh, ask him. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Is this well, he's wondering happened? if he's made the right life choice <laughs> it could be shite sandwich day from today yeah. he's wondering he's like, uh, <laughs> is anybody else in this pickle <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay okay um <laughs> Uh, Wayne Wayne Fox Jones at Jonesy Wayne asks uh, with Moreno having a particularly bad haircut right now who has had the worst haircut in football history there was a man um, in Argentina I think he's a Peruvian international and it was just outrageous it was a mixture of like five different hair cuts there was a, a there was a Mohican there was a mullet there was a side part and, and there was um, baldness all going on the same hair it's outrageous I can't remember what his name remember was remember your man the Argentinian fellow in the, at the World Cup Palacio was that his name yeah, with yeah. the little rat With tail, the side it's on, the, on the side of his head though yeah that's bizarre Oh Jesus! I can see that. Abel Xavier has to be right up there. He's had some. He's had some horrendous haircuts mm. over time. Debra Cisse has had some as well. Terrible West. Yeah, uh, Sterling. Sterling's new fucking perm slash fucking whatever it is on his head. I'm really not sure what the the story is. Um, but I am seeing Giovanni Simeone here, the son of Diego Simeone. Is, that's awful that is one of the <laughs> that's that like Tariwa West has it's funny hair like, but see Tariwa uh, Waddle, West Waddle had a terrible mullet and Cissé has mad shit like put it fucking Giovanni Simeone <laughs> I can only describe him he's like I, I, I watch samurai movies and I want to be a samurai it's like an upside down step or under. It's, yeah, like, yeah. it's like he got the wrong no, part done. Look, look it, it is. It's, it's an attempt at a samurai haircut. Look, look at the way it's done. It's like you know he's got right? a, ponytail, a samurai movie. A ponytail with the, the ponytail. old man horseshoe or something. Yeah, yeah. It's fucking. It, that's the answer. That is the Giovanni Simeone. Look him up. Worst. I'm gonna t- actually while we're while we're recording, I'm gonna copy his image and I'm gonna reply to that tweet with this picture and say that is the answer. Right Thanks there. for telling us all this live on the podcast. Yeah, no problem. Listen, this is the sort of shit I bring to everybody, you know. Yeah. This is it. Um, okay, and then so we've Paul won. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for Sorry just for wrecking the place. Just, um, just before I wrap up. Uh, we've won last one. Cop, oh, Cop 80. Fair play to him. He's, he's always around. He's, yeah, he's yeah. a good man for an L. Like and yeah, a retweet. On, I want to go home. Um, he says he's on family holiday. Kids <laughs> and grandparents are doing his fucking head in. What does he drink to keep them out? And I, I think absent. by that he means... From his keep his head, he should drink pints of absinthe. Yeah, pints of absinthe. Pints of absinthe. <laughs> Do not just have one or two absinthe. No. Have a pint of absinthe. And remember, cop eighty, drink pints of absinthe yeah. responsibly. Yeah. <laughs> 
you, you won't remember the rest of your holiday. You'll so, have a great yeah. holiday. Yeah. You may die. It will end tonight. <laughs> All your suffering will be over. Yeah, you could you could go for a swim in the sea for a long time. Um, you could do many things after Lovely. points of absinthe, but you'll have a great time. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. Okay, tonight uh, we'd like to say a big thanks to our main guest, Simon Hughes, for coming on. Uh, as I said during the pod, get out there and get yourself a copy of Ring of Fire. It really is an excellent read, uh, and we're not even being paid to say that, so it's uh, coming from the heart. Um, as always, we'd like to thank Astro Park Tala here for the use of the bunker. Um, still awaiting uh, renovations, but we'll get that going soon enough. Um, your yeah, place I thought it was going to be renovated by the time I got back. No, no, I'm no, sorry. For, man. Yeah, we're, we're lazy. Um, so your place to go for for all uh, five aside needs uh, around the South Dublin area and midget seven aside and midget seven aside exactly Um, your trippers tonight were Phil Casey uh, Paul Brennan the new tripper on board Simon Hughes and myself Stephen Daly thank you very much and we will talk to you next week no, he's, he's, you know, sometimes... If we concede, we'll definitely concede to <laughs> yeah. him if we concede. But if we don't concede any, we, we might, might, we might only, we might, <laughs> we might only need one goal to win. Depending on... There's a good chance we, we, we might get a home or ref we, like that yeah, let us could, win with just one we goal. Could, uh, we could win it nil all, but uh, <laughs> we might have to score one to win it. Oh, fucking hell. For confidence in your financial plan, look for a CFP professional. When your financial advisor earns the CFP certification, it means he or she is trained to provide ethical financial planning across a holistic range of topics, from retirement and investing to taxes and estate planning, all in your best interest. So with a CFP professional, you'll feel confident in your financial plan today and tomorrow. Three letters do make a difference. Visit letsmakeaplan.org to find your CFP professional. Hey, don't forget the Johnsons are coming over. I want to find a rosé Jill hasn't tried yet. Let's go exploring at Total Wine. Their prices are ridiculously low. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, always low prices. Total Wine and more. Sports Social Podcast Network.